Hi, how are you doing? Nice to see you. All righty, so without further ado, so to show you, this is an extremely short parrot. Not a lot, uh, hopefully. Um, however, it's it's quite a pivotal one, and um, it's kind of deceptive because there's a lot going on. And just to review, because we haven't had a class for two weeks. So in chapter 27, go back a bit. In chapter 27, we saw that David has sort of given up. He feels like there's no, you know, there's no way that he can uh, stick around in the Israeli territory because Shaul is just he's not capable of of uh, getting along with him. He's not capable of giving up the, the chase. So at the end of chapter 27, we find <clears throat> that David has gone over to the Plishti territory and he's gone to Gat, to the king of um, Gat, Achish. And he's kind of staying with him, Achish. Now David is not coming like he came in Perikafal in 21, where he came as an individual fugitive and he had to hide himself and, and like this. So he, he there he pretended to be crazy because they were after him. He's coming with a troop, 600 men. And it's well known that there has been a, a dispute between him and Shaul. So he's coming with a different set of circumstances and a different, you know, um, shall we say, uh, possibilities for Achish. Achish is not, he doesn't have to take in, you know, uh, um, uh, renegade and worry about him. He's gaining a troop. So he sets David up in the south in a place called Ziklag. And um, is that? I have a few maps here. I think this is the one. Right, so Tiklag is over here, and God is over here. And he's pretty far south, and he's got his own little kingdom there in, in Tiklag. And what he tells Achish, and this is chapter 27, and it's a little bit uh, strange, but we, we have, have to wrap our heads around it. <coughs> he tells Achish that he makes these raids every day or every few days and he raids um, Jewish towns. But actually he's not raiding Jewish towns. He's raiding enemies of the Jews. And he doesn't let anybody stay alive. He kills everyone. So no one's going to come back to Achish and say, you know, actually, you know, David is attacking non-Jews. But it, it might be, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult kind of story in order to, to understand that David is playing this game and um, he's fooling Achish. On the one hand, he has to save himself. On the other hand, he's trying to help the Jewish people. And he's sort of, you know, you know kind of, uh, what's the expression like, you know, running between the different uh, raindrops trying to get himself to keep himself dry and it seems as if the people that he is raiding are really not not such uh, they're not so good with Achish either so it's okay. I'm sorry is somebody saying something um, if you if you're not muted please mute yourself okay so what happened in chapter 27 is that Achish becomes very friendly with David. He likes David and he says to himself, I have now gained a great ally because he's on the outs with his own people. So he's mine. And at the beginning of 28, which is what we did last time, we had two psukim that didn't seem relevant to the whole story of, of Chavchet of 28. And we have that there, the Pushtim are gathering for a war against the Jews. And Achish says to David, you know you're going to come out to the war with me. 
So at the beginning of chapter 28, we're setting up a situation that's going to be very problematic for David because he doesn't want to go to war with the Jews, obviously, because he's on their side. But he still has to maintain a relationship with Achish because he's, he's invested in this relationship and he wants to keep you know, on Achish's good side. And Achish has been kind to him. So he's in the pickle. But then David says to Achish, you know what your servant will do. In other words, he he equivocates. He's like, yeah, sure, you know, I'm, I'm uh, he, he, he says things that can be uh, understood in two different ways. You know what I'm gonna do, like you could trust me. And Achish says, you're gonna be my bodyguard all the days. Now this is actually a positive development for David because he doesn't mind being a bodyguard for Achish. That doesn't involve treason to his own people. And somehow the story gets cut here and we go over to Shaul and the whole story with the, with the Balat'o, which we talked about in chapter 28. And that's sort of following, following Shaul's, you know, complete mental and emotional deterioration to the point where he does something that's completely against his, um, his principles. He has been trying to um, get rid of the Ov and Udoni and the other, you know, sorcerers and witchcrafters, Riminehem and necromancers. And in this moment of extreme stress in his life, where he feels very bad and Shmuel is dead, the Urim Batumim won't work for him because he killed all the Kohanim. So he he's desperate enough to come to this, you know, Balat's Ov and have her bring up Shmuel. And of course, as we learned, the news that he gets is very, very bad. The next day that he's going to lose the war and he's going to go, um, you know, uh, with his three sons, they're all going to pass away. And Shmuel gives that one uh, bit of, of comfort. He says that you will be with me, which sort of indicates that, that the death of Shaul and his sons will be that kapara that they need and they will be... Um, you know, given their, their place in Gan Eden. But it does end in a very dark way. The Balat's Ov turns out to be a bit of a Jewish mother. She feeds him. He's very, very distraught and very, very uh, reluctant to eat. He's been fasting. But she convinces him. She gives him the Egel Marbek, which is a calf, which is sort of reminiscent of the Medrash, which said, you know, that was his downfall in, in the story of Amalek. You know, if we have an Egla Rufa for one, you know, um, murdered person, then why kill so many people? Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. And at the end, right, they get up and they go in that night. And now we go back in our chapter, chapter 29, Chaktet, we go back to David and his sort of pickle of a situation. And we have to think about this. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Why are we, why are the Prokim set up in this way? Why the, the beginning of Chavchet with the story of David and Achish? And then we are um, uh interrupted with the story of Shaul and the Balat's over. Now we're going back to David and his very difficult situation. <coughs> okay, so Parakhaftet. You see that it's basically uh, two parts, right? The um, Actually, I wouldn't even divide it here, but you see there's different divisions. Basically, it's one story. It's only 11 psukim. It's the shortest parak in Shmuel Aleph. And basically what happens is, you know, oh, what David had been afraid of, and that is that he's going to be challenged to go to war against his own people. So we'll look at here. Pasuk Aleph. And all the Plishtim gathered their camps at Afek, and the Jews, B'nai Israel, were camping in the Ayin Asher Israel. So we mentioned this before, but 
if I show you in a map, it will be clearer. First of all, this is the Plishti territory after Ashkelon and Aza Machshimam. And uh, here's Gat, and here's Ekron. Where's Ekron? Here's Ekron. So this is Plishti territory. And for some reason, right, for some reason, the battle, which is going to take place in chapter uh, 31, the battle that Shaul is heading into, the battle where Shaul and his sons actually fall, they die, right? That battle takes place up in the north, right? And it's actually in Haragaboa in the Jezreel Valley. So it's a very, very strange situation in general because all of the Pushti battles have been in this area. And actually, Afek is over here, um, a little bit further north here. This is the map that I want. Okay. Um, so you see here, what we were we were looking at over there is where the battle was um, in this time of the um, of Goliath and earlier. This is central. This is central, and the battle of Gilboa of Israel is all the way up here. The 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 uh, Balat Ov is in, from Endor, which is here. And the Pushtim, we, we find out they're they're camping, they come to this area of Israel. This is Shunem. This is the Jezreel Valley. We are now slightly south of the Kinneret. And it's a whole different area. So why are we there? Why did the Pushtim come all the way up to fight this battle there? And <laughs> so number one thought, and I mentioned this last time, is that the uh, Dat Mikras uh, attempts to address this. Dat Mikras says perhaps there are still Kanani tribes in the north, and the Pushtim would like to make a very um, decisive blow against Shaul, which in effect they do. And they want to partner with the Kananim, who are in the north, and they want to open a two-front war. Now, I have to say that preparing this shiur of wars against the Jews, there are so many things that are like, I don't know, Tanakh is always relevant to me, but this is like, it's somewhat scary. They wanted to open, the Das Mikra says, a two-front war. And they wanted to come from the north, where the Kanani tribes are, and come from the, the west, where the Pushtim are, and attack the Jews from both sides. Now, Shaul, according to Dath Mikra, wants to forestall the, the double attack, so he got, goes to neutralize the Kananim first, and that's why Shaul is up north, and that's why he goes to Eindor. He's in that area. And the point was, to, to keep the Kananim down, but it doesn't work out that way because the Plishtim come up all the way up north to um, uh, help out and fight together with the others and, you know, uh, stage a very, very great opposition to Shaul. That's why when we go to Pasuk Aleph, we find out that they went to Afek and the Jews are in Israel, so we were like a little confused because before we saw at the beginning of chapter Chavchet, one second. Here in Chavchet, the Plishtim were gathered to war, and here in Pasik Dalit, they came and they camped at Shunam. So if in chapter 28 they're in Shunam, Right. And in chapter 29, they're in Afek. Right. So we have a bit of a problem. If they're coming up now, like when do the Plishtim go up? Are they up there in Shunam or they're coming up? So the Malbim addresses this with one answer. We will examine another answer as we get in, into the story a little bit more. The Malbim says, and this seems likely, that there's more than one Afek. There's an Afek in the north. And Afik just means a stream, like 
Kafikim Baneged, you know, in uh, Tehillim, in, um, you know, Hayinu Kecholmet, right? Kafikim Baneged. It's um, 126. So, Afik is just a fake, it's just a stream. So, you have many mitzvahs, you have many givas, you have many remotes. So, that's the Malbim, and he, he doesn't even discuss it, he just assumes that. So that's one possibility. They're gathering at Afek, and that's another Afek up here. So that's question number one. Question number, <coughs> another answer to this question, which is actually very interesting, um, is brought by Rab Amnon Bazak, and uh, based on the discussion of the Dat Mikra, he says that really the story's out of order. And really what happens in chapter 28 comes after what happens in chapter 29. And it's it's easier to explain this as we get further into it, but um, he says that we have a principle, you can't go, the Torah is not necessarily chronological, but you have to have a good reason why things are out of order. And he makes the case that the story of the Balat Ov, which is basically foreshadowing that the Jewish people are going to lose this battle, not more than foreshadowing, it's foretelling that the Jews will lose that battle, makes it imperative for us to know that in order to understand the significance of what happens in, in Perakhavtet um, and how David has to deal with this. So we, we come to the main problem here. Okay, if you recall back in the early chapters when we talked about the Pushtim, there were five cities and there were five Sranim. Every Seren is a governor of a city. And it seems that there is a hierarchy. Achish is the king. Then there's the five Sranim. And then there are many officers that we're going to see. They're not exactly the same. But they're passing with hundreds of thousands of people, right? The Plishtim are massing in unprecedented numbers here. <coughs> and so David and his 600 men are passing at the back, you know, with troops going up north with the king Achish. So what's actually going on is that if we saw at the beginning of chapter 28 that David is Achish's bodyguard, where is Achish in the battle array? He's at the back. And that's something we should take a second to look at because in Bamidbar, Moshe asks Hashem for a leader. He does not want to pass away without giving over the Jewish people to some new leader. And he says, I want a leader that will go out before them and come back before them, who will take them out and bring them in. And Rashi says here, beautiful Rashi, not like the non-Jewish kings who send out the troops, you go and kill yourselves and I'm sitting in my home. Right? Kemosha Sitiani, Moshe describes it, <coughs> that he fought Sifr and Og and Yoshua fights. In other words, the Chaim B'Tavid, who Omer, this is in chapter 18, who you'd say about the people love David back in Perakidhead? Ki who you'd say And it's such an interesting um, thing to think about how this plays out in real time. David, as a leader, went out before the people and he came back before the people. And Achish stays in the back with his bodyguard and his guards and lets the other people go forward. Until today, Till today, this is a unique feature of the Israeli army that the officers go first. And the Israeli, you know, army has that rallying cry, Aharai, follow me. 
unfortunately, it does lead to um, losses among the more um, senior officials, but it's, it's part of the whole motivation that, you know, that the Israeli army is famous for, that people know that their officers are not sitting back and letting them go forward, but they are part of the, the effort. It's a very, very um, important lesson for us. The leaders are supposed to lead. They're not supposed to send other people out to do the dirty work, so to speak. <coughs> um, but the, this, the Plishtim see David and his men with Achish in the back. What's with these Jews here? Now, the word Ivrim, I don't know if you remember, but back in chapters 13 and 14, when there was the conflict, the main conflict of, of Shaul with the Plishtim there, where Yonatan takes the charge, over there we found that the Jews are called Ivrim. And the Plishtim, you know, they say to, Yo to Yonatan, when Yonatan shows himself to the Plishtim with his armor bearer, says, Oh, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes. So it is clearly used by the Plishtim as a derogatory term. It's it's interesting, and it's something we discussed back in chapter Yid Gimel, that the idea that the Jews are called Ivrim is very specific. Up until the time that the Jewish people come out of Egypt, they are Ivrim. Yosef calls himself an Ivri, Avram's an Ivri. They're all Ivrim, right? That's Eretz Ivrim. And after the Exodus, they become B'nai Israel. And until the, this chapter 13 in Shmuel Aleph, they are B'nai Israel. And it seems that the enemies call them Ivrim. The only exceptions to this are Yonah. Yonah says Ivri Anochi. And the concept of an Ebed Ivri. So most of the Mepharshim say that this was the uh, <clears throat> this was the language that the non-Jews used for uh, for the Jews as a basically as a put down, or it's a distinction between what today we would say that a person is a Jew or a person is an Israeli, and they're not exactly the same thing. And but when People of the world uh, use the term Jew. They not necessarily mean it as a compliment. So there is a parallelism there. I did mention that Rabbi Yaakov says that every is a Jew without a country, without a state. And that's how he connects. When Yonah's on the boat, he's not home. He's not in the state. And the Evid Ivri, which is, uh, you know, because he has to sell his land, he is a stateless Jew. But in any event, when they use this term, the Sari Plishtim, they do not mean that as a comp, as a comp. They are incensed. He used to be a servant of Shaul, the king of Israel. But he's with me for days or years. I don't even know. I never found anything wrong with him. So a lot we have to unpack here. First of all, David Evid Shaul Melch Israel, right? What does that mean? <coughs> it means that he is a renegade. He is no, he is on the outs with Shaul, and you know he's he's going to be angry with Shaul. He's 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 rebelled against him, and now he's going to take Nikama. Like this is a good thing. So Achish is really, like we, we asked the question when we saw this whole situation, we said, you'd be my bodyguard. It seems that Achish is really, um, he really trusts David. It's like, it, it does look like this, that he really trusts David. And he says, I never found anything bad with him. I'm good with him. And you'll see later, he, he, he's even more complimentary to David a little bit later in the parrot. And he says, I never found anything wrong. Miyom naflo anayom azem. Now, the word naflo is an interesting one from the time that he fell. So Rashi says, since he's with me, and this is, seems to be one of the interpretations here. On the other hand, um, the Dat Mikra seems to suggest like that 
changing allegiances is like a nephilah when you fell from you know being ally with shoal and now he's become my ally so Achish is basically defending david to his officers so uh, before we go on just stop a second and, and think about how do we understand the situation now <coughs> what is david planning to do here up until this moment when the plishtim complain david is in this situation where he's marching along on the way to go to war with shaul how how can we understand this so the rabbi says okay this is basically two kind of ways of understanding it the rabbi says like this you have to ask how did david agree to go with Achish to fight israel i mean what is he doing right uh -oh. but he says right it's going to be very hard for him but david has to do what achish wants because he's now subject of achish and because he told him that he's always attacking israel he assumes achish assumes that david's on his side <coughs> now and according to the Ralbag, what David's plan is, he's going to mess the Plishtim up. He's going to be, you know, a negative influence on the Plishti war effort, right? Achish thinks I got the great hero who's going to work with me, but that's not what's in David's mind. This is going to be easy for him, because they, they trust him. In other words, the Ralbag understands David's going to play this double agent game. I'm going to pretend that I'm on the Plishti side, and I'll do whatever I can to mess up the Plishti so the Jews will win. Okay, now, going back to what I said to you, where Amnon Bazak writes in the... Um, well, it's a Gushetzion Torah Center. He's a very interesting thought. If you take this idea that David wants to mess it up, that's why chapter 28 has to come first. Because we, we know that the Jews are going to lose. Chapter 28 tells us the Jews are going to lose. So this plan of David is not going to work. It's just not going to work because how, how is he going to be able to do that, Right. Hashem wants the Shaul to lose. So that's, if you go with the Ralbach, that makes sense that in the Perichavret there is to show us that the Jews are supposed to lose. But if we want to look at the Abarbanel, very fascinating. Um, a second. Where does he say this? Here. I'm not sure which person this is. Ah, here it is. Okay. A little bit jumpy. Sorry. Okay. So the Plishti officers were angry with Achish because they he trusted David and, and Achish brought him and they said, no, we don't want him. He's going to uh, mess us up. But what was David thinking? Right? He, um, the he now the uh, Barbara is commenting on what the Ralbag says. The Ralbag wrote that David is going to, um, he's forced to do this and he's going to uh, mess up the Plishtim, as I mentioned. Ain't Kane Dati, I don't think so. The Barbara says, very interesting about Ki Khalila, Laish Nechbad Ki David. How could it be that a respectable person like David Amela would do that to Achish, who has been good to him? Think about this. Oh, this would be disgusting and a hard thing for him to do. The Bible just doesn't buy with Rabbi says it doesn't fit. Achish has been good to him. Achish has been kind to him. And now he's going to go and 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 
be ungrateful to the point where he's going to do something bad for Achish, even though he's the king of the Pushtim. So now the, the Abamanok suggests uh, and Achish said, you're going to be my bodyguard. Chashat David, the Halchoshama, Sheishmoret Rosh Achish, the Yelech's Milah, the Loyalachem in Israel, the Loyalim Tiadob in Melech Shaul, the Loyas the Satan, the Logan came Azor, Lo Loyalah Pushtim. So, <coughs> what the Abarman was suggesting here, that David is going to go along because he has no choice, but he's going to be the bodyguard of Afish. He's going to take care of Afish, but he's not going to attack Shaul. He's not going to attack anybody. He's not going to hurt, and he's not going to help. <clears throat> In other words, whereas Ralbag says David's point is to make trouble for the Plishtim, the Bible says David's point is to stay out of trouble. Just kind of Wing it, wing it. <laughs> you know, take it as it comes, not make any uh, anti-Jewish moves and not make any anti-Achish moves. And and it's it's a fascinating thing when you think about um when you think about a barbernail and who he was. He was the finance minister of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella before the expulsion from Spain in 1400s, the late 1400s. And I find this actually, like I said, this whole peric is so relevant to me. It's like crazy because what's happening is a Barbanel probably was very much conscious of the possibility that people would, you know, accuse him of dual loyalty. And that's something that's going on in America, right? If you support the state of Israel, then you're obviously not loyal to the United States. And unfortunately, we Jews have had to deal with this kind of garbage for centuries. So the environment will say, no, no, he wouldn't do that to King Ahash, who's been good to him. It's a fascinating kind of, you know, understand that where Parshan comes from, his background is also going to affect how he looks at this story. But there is some great um, proof that he brings from the Tehillim, he says, if we take a look at the Tehillim, Kuflam Hashem Chakartani Beteda, that he says that God knows, if God is the one who knows your heart, that he should know his, his kavanot. Um, I opened that up somewhere. Um, yeah. To Helen, uh, 139. Lamanatech, Hashem, Hashem, you examine, you know, right? You know all about me. You know what's going on in mine. You know how to understand. At the end of this parak, he says, um, I hate the people who hate you, God. I hate them. They're my enemies. But you judge me, Hashem. Know what's in my heart. Help! Help! I'm really in a pickle. I do not want to hurt the Jews. And I'm really in a mess with Achish. You have to help me. So that is how the Abarbanel understands this parak. We'll go back to the to the text. In other words, if we if we take this story in the Ralbag's direction, we have to say that David wanted to mess up the, the Pushtim. But if we take in the Barbernell's uh understanding, it's that David wants to stay out of trouble, but he's so badly stuck that all he could do is David. Right? Pasik Dalid. So Achish is answering them and saying, hey, I trust David. Pasik Dalit, I'm sorry, Plishtim. They got mad at him. Get him out of here. Let him go back to his place. I should have cut a where you put him, where you set him up. 
We don't want him here. He's going to be a Satan for us in this world. Now, how do we use the word Satan? The word Satan today, you know, the Satan, right? right? <coughs> but the way it's used in the Tanakh, if you remember the angel that comes against Bilaam, the Satan law. So a Satan is someone who is thwarting you. So he is going to, this is exactly what the Ral Bog says. This guy's going to mess us up. He's going to be um, a, a, a fifth column. He's, he's, he's against us. How's he going to make peace with his master? In other words, Shaul. If not with the heads of these people. Now that's a euphemism. They mean our heads. And you get the image of David coming out of the battle with Goliath with his head. They say, oh yeah, oh yeah. He's going to make up with Shaul by killing all of us and bringing our heads to Shaul. We don't want him anywhere near this war. And you are nuts. They cannot believe their king is so naive. Hello, Zed David. This is David. We remember what they sang about him. We remember, you know, uh, Shoal killed his thousands and David killed his 10,000. They were talking about us, the Plishtim. That's what he was talking about, the 10,000. Why would we bring him with us to the war? Are you crazy? They're really upset. It's actually, we have to stop a second and look at this song that was sung back when David and Parakichet, when David had his victory over the Plishtim, when, you know, the women were singing this song and, you know, you have to debate how they could do that. And, and Shoal took it so badly, but it does come up again. <coughs> if you recall, in Parakaf Aleph, one second, Parakaf Aleph, when he first goes to Achish, right? And he runs away after he goes to Nov. And This is David, king of the land. This made huge impression, not just on Shaul, but on all the Plishtim. And they're bringing it up again. Uh, excuse me, Achish, this man, is a Jewish hero. He's killed many, pushed him. We don't trust him and we don't want him here. And this was from Hashem to save David from this tremendous dilemma. Right? They say we, we just cannot have him here. And interestingly, the Malbin makes another point. He says here, sorry, <coughs> uh, yeah. Right. Uh, here, but he said, "This is the Malbim." It's an interesting Malbim. Says he remembers how they sang the song about him, and I bet he wants them to sing it again. He doesn't, you know. He he will be very happy to turn around and attack us. And don't forget. Back in chapter 14, the Jewish people, right, the Ivrim, um, uh, right, they were certain Jews that were serving the Plishtim in the battle where Yonatan makes his craziness in, in Perk Yudalit, that the Jews had reverted back to their Jewish, um, you know, brothers. So they remember that also. And that were all the Jews, you know, went back to their masters. So they are very upset. They don't want to hear about it. So now Achish is kind of stuck. He's got to like go along with this. And, um, you know, that, that, um, that one other comment that I want to make in terms of the, the song. And I think it's, it's really sad. It just shows you that the Plishtim <coughs> really know what's going on with the Jews. How do they know? I don't know. Do they have spies? Do they have intelligence? I don't know. But <clears throat> when the first problems happen, you know, when Shaul was 
in trouble. And, you know, there was like this after the Amalek, that's when they sent out Goliath, right? They know when the Jews are weak. They know now that Shaul is weak. And um, it's a very sad thing. This also, I think, is so relevant because after October 7th, we found out just exactly how much Machshimam knew about us. We don't know anything about them, but they knew everything. They knew the schedules. They knew which people be home. They knew who had dogs. They knew the schedules of everybody. I mean, think about it. It is a great lesson that we have to learn that our enemies should not know more about us than we know about them. Very sad. <clears throat> so Achish comes to David and Achish doesn't know what to say because he's like, he really likes David. By the life of Hashem. Now you understand that when he swears by David's God, he wants David to really believe him. I know you're straight. It's good for me if you go out and come with me in the camp. This Pasuk Bab is so sweet in a certain way. Achish is saying, you, I trust you. I totally trust you. Never found anything wrong with you. Uh, you know, it would be fine with me if you went out with us. But the Sranim don't like you. Now, notice that the people who complained to Achish were not the Sranim. They were the Sarim, the officers of war. And Achish says, the people who are upset with you are the Sranim. <clears throat> so the Malbim makes a case out of this. The Malbim says that Achish was saying they're jealous of you because they're important political personalities. They're the governors of the city and they're jealous of you. And that's what it is. Achish, it's interesting that this man, Achish, right? You might say he's naive. But he's also a good guy. Look, he doesn't want to say to David, they don't trust you. They don't like you. They think you're, uh, you know, going to betray us. He is careful of David's honor. And that's a big thing. You have to give him credit for that. And it's something we have to remember. We have to, when we're talking to people, be careful of their honor and be careful of their dignity. Vata, Pasik Zayin, go back. I don't want to upset the Sarnim. And he does it in such a gentle way. He says, they're jealous of you. Go home. I don't want to make trouble here. Now, David must be thinking, yippee, I'm so happy. I'm out of this. Thank you, God. But he's too clever, right, to give the reaction of, oh, um, <clears throat> okay. So he says, what on earth are you talking about? What did I ever do wrong? And notice he, he deliberately does not relate to Achish's you know, uh, declaration that he believes in him. And he right away attacks Achish. And he says, what did I ever do to you? What did I ever do wrong? I shouldn't come and fight the enemies of my master, the king. Now this is again, when David like equivocates, who are the enemies of his master, the king? If the master of the king is really Shaul, the enemies of, the, um, of his master, the king, are the Plishtim. So he could be like having double meanings with everything he's saying. But to Achish, he's saying, I don't understand. Why don't you want me to, to go with you? Did I ever do anything to, to give you a, a disbelief in me? Like, why? Why are you doing this? And he he's projecting really upset. So now... Achish has to like, you know, it's so clever. This is where you see David's wisdom because, oh, you could say, all right, if they don't like me, I'll go home. But he's like arguing. Like, I really want to go. What do you mean? How could you be like that? So Achish is like, oh, yeah, really, he really is ours. He's really on our side. Classic 10. I knew that you were good in my eyes. You're like an angel of God. This is unbelievable. 
He trusts David so much. He says, you're like an angel of God. And I want you to know, it's not the only time that people say that David is like an angel of God. There must have been, you know, something so special about David that, you know, it's, it's, um, that for you? No, I didn't. I didn't get that. Let's see, where is it? It's in the Abarba now. But it's so long, there, Barbara. Now I'm not going to find it. He does tend to like run on a bit. Okay, whatever. Trust me. The Mishlei says, right? Let's go back here. <coughs> And <clears throat> it says, Bertsot Hashem Darkeish Gamayvav Yashlimito. I think that's the Pasuk. That even his enemies like him. I, when Ach when says to him, You're like a Moloch of God, it's, it's such a, a statement of, of trust and faith. And like, David is something so special and unique about him. That his enemy king can say to him, You're like an angel to me. Like, I have total faith in you. Now he tells David the truth. This is according to the Malbim. The Malbim is noticing every extra, you know, different word. He says, It's really the officers. They're like, We don't want with them more. It's really, it's not just that they're jealous, they just are not comfortable with you at the war. Uh-uh. I I just think you're like a Malachim. I totally trust you. Prosecuted. Vata. Right. And now get up early in the morning and the servants of your master that came with you and you'll get up early and when it's be light, you'll go. So it's very interesting here because there has been a, like a switch here. We have to pay attention to the mob and notices this, right? What is generally um, the first time he tells him, you go in peace, okay? Which by the way, oh, one second, let me just finish my thought and then I'll go back to that. By the way, he says here, you go, you go back. Because they're jealous of you. And David protests. And we have to think about what he's telling him here in Pasuk. Um, Don't forget, when he tells David to go home, David doesn't know what he means about his 600 men. I should go home. They're jealous of me. I should leave. I should leave my 600 men here. David wants to make sure that they're all sent home. So he he says, what do you mean? Uh, we were going to fight for you and everything else. And then Achish has to be more open with him. And Achish says to him, listen, I know that you're like an angel of God, but the Sarim say, right? And the Malbim says, Achish, you had to tell him the truth, that it's not just the Sarnim. The Sarnim really don't care. They're not so jealous, but the Sarim, the officers said, oh, we can't have him. And now he doesn't want to embarrass David anymore. Shekulam Yashuvu. So he says that, you know, take everybody back because the officers are not comfortable with any Jews here. So now David, David's accomplishing what he wants. David wants everybody to leave, him and all his men. And he's also... Um, he's also, you know, doing the protesting thing so that now Achish has to give him this. Because first Achish says, no, they're jealous of you personally and you have to leave. It's a very interesting understanding of the Malbim that David is making this fuss so that the men will also be sent home with him. And that is <coughs> his great um, he's very happy with that. When he says, right, uh, go out early in the morning 
take your men with you and go out um, by light and you are like an angel. It's very interesting because the Plishtim said he's going to be a Satan for us and Ahri says he's going to be an angel for us. Now look here, Pasik Yud Aleph. And David must be, at this point, very relieved, very grateful to God. If you see the end of that parak in Tehillim, where he says, now I understand, you know, now, Pasik Yud Aleph, Yashkem David Huban and David got up early with his men to go in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Uplishtim Alu Yisrael, and the Plishtim went up to Israel. So we see here that David is taking the um, this out with great joy, probably, telling all his men to take them back. And now the, the people of the Plishtim are going to be calm because he's not with them. And Achish had to tell him, you know, he didn't tell him the whole thing, but he said, you know, they're not comfortable with you coming to us with war. By the way, the um, I have to realize that the Plishtim are actually acting correctly here, because if you have a suspicion and there's a question of Pikuach Nefesh, you should take it very seriously if you... Um, mm, you know, we have a, um, an obligation to be done the kafsachut, but not in this case. If you compare this, let's say, to, um, I heard um, uh, Rabbi Rosner compare this to the story of Gedalia. You know, people say to Gedalia, no, Yishmael's going to kill you. No, Yishmael wouldn't do that. Now, you really have to, the Chafetz Chaim says, you, you're allowed to be suspicious if it's a danger. And he wasn't suspicious. And the Messias Yisham has a whole discussion about how Gedalia's lack of suspicion caused so many deaths and so much problems, and he should have been more careful. That's his discussion of weighing Hasidus. So these people are not wrong. Nachesh is being a little bit naive here, but there must be something very um, special about David to um, bring out this affection in all of the people and Achish's circles, we saw at the beginning of chapter 28. Now, in order to understand the greatness of what happens here, okay, you have to realize that, and this is what Rabbi Bezak says, and it's a very, very interesting comment, because he says, the whole story of the Balat old came before. So we all know that this campaign is going to be disaster for the Jews. So if we can picture David and his men at that scene where Shaul and his sons get killed. Picture that for a moment. Let's assume, okay, we don't know. Nobody really knows what David would have done. Perhaps David knows, you know, or David had a plan. But we don't really know how that would have played out if Hashem hadn't come in here and saved him by virtue of the officers of the Plishtim. But let's say that he was on that spot. Of course, he didn't do anything negative to the to the Jews, right? But the war is a disaster. Shaul and his sons get killed, and David is there. And David has been staying with the Philistines. So you can imagine that this would not give David any credit with B'nai Israel. They would say, yeah, David, you know, he didn't want to kill Shaul himself but he was involved with this war against Shaul, and this would have been a disaster for David to be anywhere near that war. That's number one. Number two, coming up in chapter 30, is a very disturbing story. That's what's happening while David is marching up north with Achish, is that his town of Tziklag is being attacked by Amalek. And because he leaves and goes back, he's able to save the town. That's the story of Parak Lamed. So David leaving at this point is really a stroke of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Chesed. And if you look at that, that Parak in Tehillim, right? Right? <clears throat> right? If you, God, will take care of the bad guys, right? Take them away from me, right? I will... Um, 
I will be able, I will be at liberty to fight against the people who fight against you. And you, Hashem, know. You, you know these difficult ways and you will guide me on the path. So we see that, you know, David's faith again comes to save him because Hashem pulls him out of a very, very, very difficult, um, an almost impossible position. Okay, we'll stop the screen share. And anybody have questions, thoughts? Further adventures of David. Rabbit's insurance. I have a question, but it's not directly related to to uh, David and Shell's story. It's more about the beginning of Shoftim. <laughs> beginning of Shoftim. Uh, Yes, I remember the Rabbitson said that there was a chaos at the beginning. Before there was a king, there was anarchy and uh, all of that. But I read in a source that that's like a modern interpretation or something, and that it's actually that that yeah, like the people didn't really need a king. So I don't know. I wanted to clarify. I don't know why I saw that and I was confused like where, where either, uh, do you know uh, Rabbi Victor Miller's uh, booklets uh, I've heard of them I haven't read them I think uh, uh, Rabbi uh, Miller uh, in one of his booklets it's mentioned that it's it's uh, the traditional way of uh, interpreting the beginning of Shoftim is that the Yehudim were okay. They didn't need a king because they had a they had a higher level of. I mean that the, the that it wasn't the reason, but I'm not. Hang on one second. Hang on one second. Let me just ask if anyone has any questions on Parakhtet, and then I'll I'll uh, try to answer okay. your question. Sorry. Okay. It's okay. Just hang hang in there a minute. Anybody? Sedona. Okay, um, so basically, the whole idea of king is very, very complicated. And if you look in the Chumash, right, the language in which the discussion of king happens is in Sefer Dvarim. You should look it up. Perik. Perik Zion, And it says... When you come into the land and when you are uh, settled in the land, then you can, um, and if you say, I will put a king upon myself, and this is what the king, uh, these are the laws of the king. Right? So it's very strange language. It's very like maybe. It's not like, you know, keep Shabbos or don't eat, you know, milk and meat together. It's very well, you know, if you come in and you decide you want a king, then this is what you're going to do with the king. So when the actual question of the king comes up, <coughs> which is in Shmuel al Parakhet, and I'm sure we talked about this in many different ways, if, if you want to go back to other um, shiurim where we talked about, it would be um, Shmuel in chapter Chet, chapter 8, and certainly... Um, in Shoftim chapter 17. And there you see that when the people ask for a king, Shmuel is very angry and God is very angry. So what's going on? And God says, Give, tell them they can have a king. Like, it's very it's very strange and it's a very complicated discussion. There are a lot of different um, thoughts about should they have a king or shouldn't they have a king? Now, the basic idea in the beginning of Sefer Shoftim, the first two chapters, especially the first chapter, but both first uh, chapters um, explain what's wrong with the time of the Shoftim. The Jewish people, the Jewish people are, um, haven't finished conquering the land. And because of that, they're open to influences of 
the uh, pagan tribes that are all around them, and they're going to be led astray by all their neighbors, right? And if you think about that, right, then you'll understand that there is a bad beginning to this whole time with Shokin. So it's not like they didn't need a king. They needed, they needed a leader, whatever name you want to put on it, like a shofet is not really a court judge. The shofet is a leader, right? And he, he's, but his problem is that he's not, he doesn't have any permanence. He's just, he comes up, he does what needs to be done, and then he goes back home. We see this in Sefer Shoftim again and again. So the people are very insecure. And that's where they come to Shmuel and say, we need a king. But if you go back to the end of Sefer Shoftim, with the stories of Pesel Micha and Legish Begiva, then we see, <coughs> then we see that things have really gone out of control. And the theme Pasuk there, and it's repeated, I think, five times, by Amim HaHem En Melech Yisrael. In those days, there was no king in Israel at least four times, four or five times. In those days, there's no king in Israel. Everybody did what was good in his own eyes. So this is not a statement, this is a good time. This is not a statement that they don't need a king. This is a statement that they do need a king. But it's also, can also be interpreted, there's no king in Israel, there's no God in Israel. Because God is ultimately the king. You see that in Megillah Esther, every time it says a Melech, talking about Hashem. But the, the answer, the answer to that problem comes in Sefer Shmuel when they transition from the system of government of the judges to the system of government of the kings. But the bottom line is, and this is an, something that we discuss in Shmuel Aleph chapter 12, when Shmuel basically retires, the bottom line is it doesn't matter what your government is. It doesn't matter what you call your leader. What matters is your allegiance to Kosh Baruch Hu. And if you, if your king, right, is a sinner, and he's going to lead you astray, and that's a problem. If the judge is a sinner, he's going to lead you astray. That's a problem. The problem is the same either way. You have to have loyalty to Kosh Baruch Hu. But there come, there came a time in the history of the Jewish people where they needed that stability of dynasty of a king and his children and his descendants. And the king that they were waiting for was David. And the Ramban has one discussion in, in Parshas Faifi where it talks about Yehuda. And the Ramban says the reason that God and Shmuel were angry in chapter 8 when they asked for a king is because their timing was off. They should have waited, uh, and not, you know, Shmuel was there. Shmuel might have been old, but he was a very effective leader. And certainly he could daven. He wasn't going to go out to battle for them. He could certainly daven for them. And he does win wars by davening for them. So the fact that Shaul comes in, right, is kind of a stopgap measure before the real, so to speak, king that God wanted comes on the scene, and that's David. And David is really, you know, the kind of leadership, and we watch David in the second half of Shmuel Aleph, we watch him grow into this role, you know, from, you know, the things, the way he he, he deals with the, um, the story of Shaul, the way he deals with his people. Next next week, Bezrat Hashem chapter 30 is going to be a very, very interesting discussion of how um, how David you know grows as a leader and his leadership is in a certain sense a Jewish ideal because his his every movement is you know dictated by God he, he doesn't ever stop from that he's like always asking God what do I do now even when it, it would seem obvious so that that connection of David and Akash Baruch Hu that we see, you know, feel and say for Tehillim, that's what makes him more or less the ideal king. But he's only coming into his own 
you know, gradually. Um, does that answer your question? Thank you, Representative Sharon. Yes, thank you so much for clarifying. Yeah, so it's it's not it's not a simple question. It's like there's a you know a lot of discussion, right? Oh, thank you so much. Okay, all right. Anybody else have any <coughs> thoughts? <clears throat> okay, Rachel. Hi, good time no see. How are you? <laughs> Where are you these days? Um, Baltimore. Yeah, Shane Lewis told me about this year. So she just sent it, sent me the link like a right before it started. So I'm so glad to join. Thank you. Okay, great. great. Good to have you. All Thank right. you. Okay, I'm going to sign off because my voice is starting to give out. Reflect, <laughs> Mama. Thanks, Mom. Thank you. Okay. Bye.